Let's pray together. Our Father, what a joy it is to meet together again. Is your church, is your dwelling. As always, Father, we bow before you, not just as prophets, wanting to take the gospel to the world around us, to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our schools, to Fayette County. But Father, we bow before you as priests, bringing the world around us to you. And that world is needy. And Father, we first pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for Tony Hunt. Oh, Father, what a long ordeal this has been. We pray that you would bless the hunts. Give them patience with this. We pray, our Father, that these antibiotics would be effective against the staph infection. Take it away, Father. Take away this infection. Bring healing. We pray for Matt Edwards' dad, for Gordon, that you would bring healing from this pneumonia. For Amanda Vanderbilt's, Vanderpool's mother, we pray that you'd bring healing to her. For Billy Griggs, oh, Father, what a blessing he is. We pray for him that you would, you would strengthen him physically, take away this pain. We pray that you would bless him spiritually most of all. Father, cause him, cause all of us to look forward with anticipation what you have prepared for us in glory. We pray for Ray Lynch and Claire Reddit that you will bring healing to their eyes. Oh, Father, we plead for this for them. They need their vision. We pray that you would bring healing. Our Father, we pray for our land this Lord's Day. We're needy people. We're a needy country. And Father, we have forsaken you. We've forsaken your word. We've run pell-mell away, and it seems that you have turned us over to our own sins, to our own lawlessness. And Father, we pray for righteousness. We pray that there would be equal justice across this land. And Father, we also pray that you would defeat this insurrection. And Father, this, this effort is being made to rip at our very Constitution. We thank, Father, of how you blessed this country in the beginning and how you gave us these incredible documents, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. Father, these are being attacked. We understand your judgment. We understand you turning us over to our own sins. But Father, we would pray for repentance. 
we would pray that, that Father, you would send an Elijah, send a Jeremiah and Isaiah, send a John the Baptist to preach once more across this land. Father, we pray that for your church at this time, that your word will be preached boldly. That we would not shy away from the truth. Our Father, we so the, we pray this morning that as we open your word, that you we would hear you speak to us. Well, John Sartell cannot speak, so it will make any difference in our lives. We've come to hear you by the power of your Spirit, and we pray that in these next few minutes in our hearts we would hear your voice convict, convince, Father, when we leave here, may we know we've heard you speak for the glory of Jesus Christ. Changes, Father. For some, it will be a continuing change. For others, it might be a change for the first time. Father, bring your gospel and your word in power. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. Have you missed God's house? This morning is something of a personal testimony from my own life in these last four months. I have been profoundly affected in my thinking, in my understanding, through what has happened as we have been away from each other. I think this will be something of your own personal testimony when you walk away this morning. I want to begin with an experience that we shared on February 2nd of this year. Before the first service, I was talking to Tyler about the message, and I said, you know, this morning, what we're, what, what our thinking, what, what the subject of our thinking will be, has, has to do with what we did on Sunday, February the 2nd. It has to do with that message. And Tyler said, he had the nerve to say to me, well, what was it that we did? What was that message? And I said, Tyler, you, you don't remember? I'm just, I'm hurt, you know. And I'm sure that most of you remember what we did on February 2nd. But just in case, we were in the book of Acts uh, as we had begun a series on Sunday morning that would take us through all the different books of the Bible. And we were happened to be in Acts, and you can't understand Acts unless you understand the Holy Spirit coming to the church of Jesus the Christ. And so we were looking at Acts chapter 2. The message was titled, Where Can I Go and Meet with God? The people, and we're going to do just a real quick review. The people of God in the Old Testament met with God in the temple. Look at Deuteronomy 12, 11 on your scripture sheet. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, there you are to bring 
everything I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your special gifts, all the choice possessions you have bowed. In other words, bring your worship to the tabernacle and then to the temple. God put his name. He said, on the place where I put my name. God put his name on the tabernacle. Then God put his name on the temple in Jerusalem. It's like you put your name on your house. You live at such and such address. Sartells live at 60 Augusta Drive in Oakland, Tennessee. My name is on that house. God says, where I put my name, you will come to worship. People in the Old Testament, the church of the Old Testament, came to the temple. Where, so in the New Testament, the question is, where in the New Testament, where's the New Testament church go to meet with God? Well, Jesus answered that question in Luke 18, 20. There on your scripture sheet, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. As my people gather, I will be in their midst. Now, that's how the apostles look at the church. The church, the people of God, were the house of God. I want you to say that in your head right now. The people of God were the house of God. Look at Ephesians 2.19. We're going to look at this several times, but uh, we need to go over and over until we really get this, not only in our heads, but in our hearts. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He was speaking to the church at Ephesus. He wasn't speaking to an individual Christian. He wasn't speaking to John Sartell. He wasn't speaking just to the elders at Ephesus. He was speaking to the church at Ephesus. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Members of the house of God. Built on the foundation, the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom, he repeats this three times, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a temple. First it was a household, now it's a temple in the Lord. And then he repeats it. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place, a dwelling place, a habitat for God by the Spirit. Where the people of God gather in his name, that's where he dwells. Can there be any doubt? I mean, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to speak out. If that's not the teaching of Scripture, tell me. You know that you need to know that this has been the classical teaching of the church. It's the house of God. Thus, in the early church, you weren't walking down the street and saw a, a, a building like this and saw a sign out front with a, with a, announcing that this is Christ Presbyterian Church. Those folks met at sometimes in the temple. They met in catacombs and met in small houses. They met in upper rooms in hidden places, sometimes in secret. And those became holy places. Why? Because Christ was there in their midst. Because that's where the people of God gathered. And when the people of God gathered, Jesus was in their midst. How does he do that? How does he do that? Be in all those places. There was a moment in time, we saw on, on February 2nd, there was a moment in time when God came to the tabernacle to dwell. Remember, they built the tabernacle. And he visibly moved into the tabernacle. It's there in Exodus 40, 34. Let's read it. Look at it. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. 
and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What was happening? God was moving into his house. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God came to live in his house. In the New Testament, there was a corollary. That's why we were in Acts chapter 2 that Sunday. There was a moment in time when God came to indwell his church. Look at it. Acts 2, 1. When the day of Pentecost came, that's a Jewish feast day, they were all together in one place. They were in that upper room. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire and separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Just as the glory of the Lord visibly filled the tabernacle and then the temple, that same glory fell on the church and filled the church at Pentecost. That was a message on February 2nd. That was a sermon. Now, that's the end of the review. Now let's put it in context. I could not have known then and did not know then, have any idea then what would happen one month later when we would cease to meet together. Little did we know on that Sunday that Christ Presbyterian Church was about to go through three long months without meeting together in the same sanctuary. The joy of worshiping together, the joy of gathering as Christ Presbyterian was about to be taken from us. Oh, we came before God to worship every Lord's Day, but we were separated geographically, weren't we? We could not sing together as a church body. We could not call each other in the world to worship. That's what we do with the call to worship. I love when the church stands up and we all participate in it together. And that's what a call to worship is. It's calling each other to worship. It's calling the world around us to worship. It's calling the world to worship. Call to worship. And then that great hymn, that we, we, we move from that straight into this hymn of adoration. We couldn't do that. We could not come as one body together in the same room and hear each other sing and read scripture and confess our sins and profess our faith. We couldn't do that. We were still the church as we met separately, but we could not worship together. So were those Sundays wasted? No. No, those Sundays were precious. We learned to worship in our homes individually, some of us. I really felt for some of you, as some of you live alone, and I felt on the Lord's Day, there's not another, there, your wife or husband's not there to worship with you. Your children are not there to worship with you. But we learned how to go through our order of worship as a family or as individuals. I hope you did that. Thanks to, to Kimberly and, and her great work and, and Tyler and his work and the ladies that helped us with the music to have that interactive bulletin. For the first time, 
Terry and I sang hymns together in our house. We confessed our sins. We just had a time of worship together. Not just a devotion, but going through this whole order of worship. We prayed as priests in our Sunday worship in our home. Probably, probably you were like us. Terry and I hadn't worshipped like that in our home together. This was a good thing. We came to look forward to that time on the Lord's Day. But something was missing. We were not gathered with our fellow members, with our brothers and sisters in Christ at Christ Presbyterian. I remembered, I was reminded in these months, profoundly reminded, that Christianity is about much more than my personal, individual faith in Christ. I'm not the church of Jesus Christ. Terry and I were not the church of Jesus Christ. The evangelical Christians of our day, we, we, you know, pendulum swing back and forth. And in the evangelical church in our day, we've seen a tremendous emphasis on the individual nature of Christianity. It's a personal thing. The individual confesses his sin. The individual bows before Jesus. The two, two dominant hymns of the evangelical church, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. You know, we could change the pronouns in that hymn. We could sing it as a church, just as we are. Without one plea, except your blood was shed for us. The other hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We, we individualize our faith. Now, that's not a bad thing. Without individual confession of sin, there's no salvation. Without individual profession of faith in Christ, there's no salvation. Too many Christians, too many of us stop right there. To them, Christianity is an individual thing. Think about it this way. Most of the Bible is not written to John Sartell as an individual. Most of the Bible is not written to individuals. The first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Written by Moses. To whom? To the Old Testament church. To the people of God. To Israel. Psalms is the hymn book of Israel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. They weren't books written to individuals. They were written to the nation of Israel. A nation that was in decline. A nation that went into exile. Daniel and Ezekiel were written to a church. In exile. Romans was written to the church at Rome. First and second Corinthians were written to the church at Corinth. Galatians was written to the church of Galatia. Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus. Philippians was written to the church at Philippi. Colossians was written to the church at Colossae. Revelation was written to the seven churches of Asia. The church did not even begin with individual Christians saying, 
You know, we got to get all these Christians together. We need to form a club for Christians. That's how a lot of people, and they move from club to club to club, looking for something that will fit their individual Christianity. The church was God's idea, was God's creation, Old Testament and New Testament. What did Jesus say? You know, this church is not my idea. It's not Tyler's idea. Mike and Bill would like to say, I remember when they would come in to Independent and they were they they loved what was happening there and they, they wanted a church like Independent out here. They might say it was their idea. No, it wasn't. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. It's his idea. It's his creation from beginning to end. By the way, Mike and Bill know that. I'm just having some fun. What are we saying? When the church meets, when we're together, she is the house of God. Go back to it again. Look at Ephesians 2, 19 and 22. Members of the household of God. Grows into a holy temple into the Lord. We're a holy temple this morning as we meet together. A holy temple with which the Lord resides. A dwelling place for God. So who are we this morning? Members of the household of God. Who are we this morning? The holy temple of the Lord. Who are we this morning? A dwelling place for God. This room is not the house of God. This building is not the house of God. The church meeting in this room is the house of God. And this is the first time in three months we have gathered in one room as a church. And if you don't celebrate that, if you don't laugh and shout with joy at that. Folks, we are a unique group of people. Where two of people gather in my name, where I put my name, I will be there. I'll be in their midst. Jesus did not make that commitment, that promise to any other institution. Jesus did not say to the government, not even the government of the United States, he didn't say, when you meet, I'll be in your midst. He didn't say to Wall Street, when you meet, I'll be in your midst. He doesn't say to ABC, CBS, or any other media, when you meet, I'll be in your midst. He doesn't say to Hollywood or to the universities or to education, when you meet, I'll be in your midst. On Pentecost, he did not come to the government of Rome. He didn't come to the businesses of Jerusalem or to the universities of Athens and Alexandria. He came to his church. He didn't come to dwell in one geographical location. He came to his church wherever and whenever they gather. And what happens? What happens when we gather? Jesus is in our midst through the presence of the Holy Spirit. What happens when we meet? R.B. Kuyper wrote a wonderful book called The Glorious Body of Christ. He was a, a great theologian, a Dutch theologian. Even though he grew up, he, his parents moved here uh, from the Netherlands, and, and he grew up in the United States. He was a, was a wonderful theologian. He wrote a, a book called The Glorious Body of Christ. He was saying the glorious church of Christ. And he says, in every part of 
the worship of God's people. In every part, we're either listening to God or we're responding to God, we're replying to God. We're either listening to God or replying. This is a meeting with Him. The church is unique not only in that it's an institution and dwelled by God. It's also called primarily to be a place of worship. Now, gang, think about the government. God doesn't call the government of the United States to worship. He doesn't, he doesn't call Wall Street to worship. He doesn't call your business to worship or Hollywood or the media or the university to be a place of worship. Now, they're all institutions created by God, and they're institutions that should serve a good purpose and a godly purpose. But it didn't call those institutions to worship. It's the church alone. It's the church alone that God indwells. It's the church alone that he calls to worship. When China and Russia said, there will be no church in our nations, they were saying there will be no worship. Worship is synonymous with the church of Jesus Christ. Christians in those countries, in Russia and China, they might have prayed during the worst of times as individuals in hiding. They might have prayed as families. They might have read portions of Scripture secretly. But they were denied the opportunity of meeting with other believers to do what the church is primarily called to do. Worship. Over and over again, in these last three months, I have thought, you know, in some small way, and let me emphasize that and underline, in some small way, this is what it's like living in places where the church is forbidden. We could not come together as Christ Presbyterian Church and worship corporately. Now, if the church is the only institution indwelled by God and the primary function of the, that church is the worship of God, if that's true, how can we regulate the church to being a non-essential in our lives? Think about it. We sin our children to school for education. We teach, we, we, we teach our children to obey the government because the government brings law and order to society. We expose our children to literature and the theater because we want them to appreciate the arts. Question. Where will those children learn to worship? They're not going to learn it even at that godly university on the hill in Knoxville. They're not going to learn it from the government. They're not going to learn it from Hollywood. They're not going to learn it from the media. I'm asking a question. You say, well, I'll just teach them to worship in my home. Good. But do you know God created the church for that?
when John went to college, I had three last words for him. Go to church. Now, I, didn't, I wasn't patting him on the head. He didn't say, I wasn't patting him on the head and said, John, be a good boy. That's not what was happening. I told him that he could not survive in the world of college football and in the campus life as a Christian. He couldn't survive without the church. That was number one. But I had something, another reason. I said, John, you drink his water, you eat his food, you breathe his air, you enjoy his world, you enjoy his providence, you're kept by him all week long. What kind of person is it that cannot take one hour to go and meet with this God and say, thank you and worship? You see, with too many of us, and I'm guilty with too many of us, the church is no big thing. Missing, missing worship is no big thing. Life, people, life without the church is life without worship. And a life without worship is ungrateful, selfish, and incomplete. I'm sorry, but it is. Now, you can go to church and you can go to the wrong church. You can go to the church and it won't make any difference at all. In fact, God in Malachi said, I wish somebody would shut the doors of the temple. Look at it, Malachi 1.10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires. It's useless for you to go make sacrifices. I'm not pleased with you and I'll not accept, I will accept no offering from your hand. I know what that's like. I went to a very liberal seminary. It was a Presbyterian seminary, the Southern Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, Georgia, Decatur, Georgia. Beautiful, beautiful campus. Uh, very Ivy League looking campus. All these scholars were there. A lot of my believers, my, a lot of my professors were not believers. I was not taught the incarnation there. I was taught, in fact, that God didn't become flesh. That certainly God didn't do that. Certainly Jesus was not the Son of God. He wasn't born of a virgin. Didn't believe Scripture was the infallible, inerrant Word of God. Didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And I was assigned, not only was I taught that day after day after day in that school, I was assigned to go to this very large Presbyterian church. And it was a liberal Presbyterian church. Now, you might as well stayed home instead of going to church. If that was the church you were going to. You never heard the gospel. And I had to go. There wasn't any option. I had, that's where you were assigned. They were trying to, you know, change us and mold us. Something happened during that time. It was over a period of three months. And that's where I went to worship. And... I felt empty. I felt down. I'm not given to those sort of things. But in November, my father was preaching at a church in Charlotte, North Carolina. He lived in Virginia, but he was preaching there for the weekend. And I said, I'm going up and see Dad and listen to him preach. It was on a Friday evening. I arrived. I, it was 
I was arrived five minutes after the service began, so I just walked in and sat back. But from the minute I walked in that sanctuary, when I walked in, they were singing a gospel hymn. And I just began to weep. I sat through the first half of that service and just sat and cried. I walked out of that service, and I felt like I was alive again. And it took several days. I really didn't understand where it happened. It was the first time in three months that I had been in a real house of God to worship. Let me tell you, you can't absent yourself from public worship in God's house with a church indwelled with the Holy Spirit. You can't absent yourself from that for three months and not be affected. It's a huge thing for a family to stop going to church. They stop worshiping. I would rather my children miss school. How important is the church? Let me ask you another question. If you're young, if you're elementary school or high school or college, listen to me, your whole generation, the church has been marginalized in our society. It's been completely marginalized. It's a non-essential. Why in the world are you going to church? How important is the church? Well, let me ask you another question. How important is it that we worship? God said there was nothing more important than worshiping Him. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. What's the first commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. What does that say about the place or the significance of the church? Think about it. The church of Jesus Christ was given God's word to study, to keep, to proclaim. None of those other institutions, the government, the media, no other institution has been given the primary task of protecting, studying, and proclaiming the word of God, the gospel, the whole counsel of God. The church alone. What, what, what did Jesus say? On this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of God. What other institution has the keys to the kingdom of God? What other institution has the word of God? None. We're given baptism. We're given the Lord's table body and blood of Christ. We hear people say, well, I can go to the mountains. I can walk in the woods and, and worship God as well or even better than I can in church. Really. Jesus, thank you for founding your church. Jesus, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for coming and dwelling with your church. But, uh, pardon me, I just don't need that. The woods and the lake will take care of it. And why did Jesus say, when you gather, I will be in your midst? Let's hear the end of it. You all know this. I love SEC football games. A few months ago, about a month ago, I was hearing for the first time that, well, may not play football this year. Big Ten may not play football. 
the Pacific Coast Conference, they may not play football this year. And I laughed. And I said, well, they might not play football. But this is the South. And this is the Southeastern Conference. And football will be played. I love going to Neyland Stadium and watching the balls run through the tee. But I have never taken the bread and wine of the Lord's table at Neyland Stadium. I've never heard God's word proclaimed at Neyland. I've never participated in a baptism at Neyland. I love singing Rocky Top when the balls score. But I've never sung. I was so thankful for Jay this morning for playing Holy, Holy, Holy. You couldn't play the more appropriate hymn for our call to worship. I've never stood in Neyland Stadium and sung Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. No. God did not give his word, baptism, in the Lord's table to UT football. He gave his church the word of God, the sacraments, baptism, the Lord's table. He gave his church the message and said, go to the ends of the earth with it. And every time you gather, your primary purpose will be to worship. You'll teach the world how to worship. What could be more precious? Here's this institution, this living body, with the word of God, the sacraments, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and worship. What could be more precious and more valuable to our families, to our state, and our nation? than the church of Jesus Christ. That's the conclusion I've reached in the last three months. You are the house of God, and I've missed you. Our hymn is most fitting. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion city of our God.